This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning in California, Heidi, or afternoon in New York, right? Uh, yes, it's uh, midday in, in New York City, and we're going to have Dr. Susan Berger joining us today, Mom. In fact, she's on the other line, and she is the founder for the Center for Lost Bereavement and Healing. Yeah, wow, in uh, Framingham, Mass., I notice, right? That's right. Yeah, right here on the East Coast. Anna has written a book, as we talked earlier, called The Five Ways to Grieve, and Dr. Berger has a really extensive background as far as educationally, and we actually have a lot in common because we both have social work degrees from, um, hers is from Boston University, and she has a doctorate from Harvard, so we are going to talk more with her in a minute, and what did she just say, Mom, earlier, that she's, she's also a survivor of early parental loss, and we'll be talking more with Susan about that. Absolutely. Well, Susan, and, and I see that you uh, got a degree in thanatology from Mount Ida College, too. That's a great place. And you're involved with ADAC, the Association of Death Educators, are you? Yes, I've been a member for about 10 years, and I've spoken several times at ADAC as well. Ah, great. My, my own experiences and about uh, the research that I did for my own book. Right, and we're going to get into that wonderful book, The Five, Five Ways to Grieve, which is a great book. And uh, you've got a website that they can go to The Five Ways to Grieve, too, right, Susan? That's correct. Yes, www.fivewaysbegrieve.com. So, uh, Susan, talk a little bit about your father died. Uh, I noticed he's a doc. He was a doctor. It was he a medical doctor or a psychologist, or he died at age thirty-five? Yes, he did. He was a dentist, oh. uh, up and up and coming dentist um, in the community, very well respected, and unfortunately, he. Um, was sick for many years, uh, first with a kidney infection, and then after a brief respite, he was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, mm -hmm. uh, which mm -hmm. is now curable, actually, but which was not curable then. Uh, and so he stayed at home a good part of the time, and my mother, my brother, and I took care of him and watched him grow weaker, and he suffered a great deal of pain. And, uh, in fact, one of the memories that I have is that I would hear him crying to my mother that he wanted to die. Wow. Um, wow. How, how old were you at that point? You were how old, 11. Susan? I was That's um, very scary. 11. Wow. wow. That must have been really scary as a child to hear that, to hear your dad in that kind of pain. Oh, it was awful. It was very scary. Um, but uh, we didn't really, you know, know how to cope with things in those days. In fact, I wish there had been centers for grieving children, which do such wonderful mm -hmm. work now, but there was nothing like that at that time. And so we just coped in the best ways that we could as a family and as uh, children. Now, was your brother older or younger? My brother was three years younger. Oh, okay. He was eight years old. Yeah. And, of course, we were sick. He, I mean, we were younger as my father was, was getting sick. It probably ran over the course of four or five years. 
So, unfortunately, we didn't have much time with him, hmm. which was terrible because he was supposed to have been a wonderful man. And so your mom uh, went on. Did your mom remarry, and, and was she working when your father died, or did she have a... My mom worked at three jobs. Um, hmm. She did not remarry uh, until nine years later. And um, she worked very hard, and we tried to be good. I think the way we coped was to not cause her any problems. And I know that I tried to do some work to earn money for my allowance. Uh, my brother, of course, was too young for that. But um, we kept a lot inside. My mother was a very strong person, but she also didn't want anyone to feel sorry for us. And so we operated on sort of stiff upper lip, don't wear your heart on your sleeve kind of mentalities. And so you must have been a kid who wasn't going to give anybody any trouble, and you must have been a good student because you ended up at Harvard. So I assume that you you were a hard worker and, and no trouble at all. Would that, that be right? I was. I was very hard worker, very conscientious. I was a very serious kid, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess how could I not? Well, have you had been to, you had to, my experiences, right? That's what I was thinking, Susan. You had to, you had to deal with with adult things. You had to deal with things that kids don't usually have to deal with. Yep. I don't think most children um, have to do what I did in terms of coping on my own, uh, feeling that I also had to sort of take care of my mother and my mm-hmm. brother because she was so overwrought with grief herself, but also with having to sustain our family. She actually had three jobs, first as a teacher, then as a Sunday school teacher, and then as a camp counselor in the summertime. She was also a very hard worker. Well, tell us now, how did your life go in connection with that? Did you just uh, go along and do your thing, and uh, or did you did you visit those losses? I know you say in your book that uh, when your mother, when you turned fifty, your mother died at fifty, right? And when you turned fifty, you thought that you wouldn't live that long. Well, it, actually, my mother died at forty nine, oh, okay. and because my father had died at thirty five. I had very early on sort of taken on the worldview that life was short and that I was not going to live a long life because neither of my parents had lived long lives. And mm-hmm. so when I hit 50, I kind of had a midlife crisis. I didn't really know who I was. I had achieved the, the goals that I had set for myself, and I was kind of lost. And I figured out that it had to do with um, the loss of my parents, but I didn't know exactly how. And that's how I actually got very interested in the field of grief and loss and started studying for a certificate in sanatology. Well, wow, that's I interesting. I wanted to answer questions. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I, I was just thinking that's extremely interesting that you, that you really hadn't visited those losses in, in the way until 50. You know, because that fits into something Heidi and I always say, it's never too late, right, Heidi? Absolutely, and it's it's so interesting that as Susan got older than her parents were when they died, she started to deal with their own issues around the grief and loss, and, and so many things came up. I hear that all the time with siblings, when they get past the age that their sibling died, where they all of a sudden have these profound shifts in their life and say, wait a minute, I'm still here. Exactly. Huh. Exactly. Um, but I'm sure, like me, they may have 
felt a little bit lost, that's when I started thinking mm-hmm. that I was myself a nomad, you know, that I didn't really know uh, where I was going. I hadn't really resolved my grief. I hadn't fully understood it or, or faced it up until that time. And so I was really challenged to, to figure that out before I could move on myself. Now, how did your family deal with this? Did you get married and have kids or, you know, what was your life like? I did. Um, actually, I got married at 20 because my mother had figured out that she was um, dying of breast cancer at that point, And she wanted to mm. make sure that I got married. So she, and wow. she encouraged me to marry my high school boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, which I did. Um, but he... We had a hard time. During our first years of marriage, not only did my mother die, but his mother died. And um, we had just more than I think either of us could really cope with. And so Mm -hmm. unfortunately, after a number of years, um, we divorced. Uh, We had a daughter um, who is the love of both of our lives. Um, and she has turned out wonderfully, but it was difficult. Obviously, it was very difficult and very painful for both of us. Mm-hmm. And and your mother wanted to make sure you were taken care of, it sounds like, or, or had something there for you. Wow. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's, yes. yeah, that's kind of an amazing, amazing thought and, and a sad thought and, you know, that sometimes people don't drive us exactly in the right direction or, uh, you know, because they think that they know what we need. So what have you found out? Did, did anybody, now when you did your work uh, for your um, doctorate in education from Harvard, did you do it on loss or on something else? Actually, I didn't do it on loss per se, but I was interested in how people adapt to change um, in uh, organizations uh, as well as individuals. And I didn't focus on the loss because I wasn't focused on the loss. Um, myself in that way, I did know that I was driven by the fact that life was short, that I wanted to accomplish things, that I wanted to help people as much as possible. And my doctorate was in um, was studying administration and social policy um, so that I could be a leader in organizations and advocate for policies that would help people. How interesting. So, yeah. When did you start the Center for Loss and Bereavement? That I started actually about um, five years ago. I was in the process of writing my book. I had begun to realize after studying for my thanatology certificate uh, how loss affected people not only initially but through their whole lives. And so I wanted to be able to to um, help people, both by doing clinical work and also by teaching. I did a, uh, uh, and have continued to do a lot of trainings with professionals, social workers, psychologists, hospice people, um, chaplains, people who are all dealing with how to help um, grievers. How do you help grievers? Let me ask you, 
if I, I'm bereaved right now, how, what do I need to do? I know you have your five ways to grieve and, uh, well, the memor- the nomads, the memorialists, the normalizers, the activists and the seekers, which are very interesting. And I hope people will go to your book and get it, the five ways to grieve, because I think these are really interesting. You've interviewed a lot of people for this and, and kind of put them into these different uh, ways that they grieve. But the one uh, Heidi and I were interested in was the nomads, particularly the very first one. And you were saying you were a nomad. And that, I think, is where some of our audience might be out there right now wondering how do you approach dealing with grief? Well, I think there are several things to understand, Gloria, about grieving. First of all, that uh, it's a normal process and that it's a part of life. And people need to be able to express their feelings and deal with their loss. Um, Unfortunately, in our society, people don't have much patience. And so Mm -hmm. what we find is that after, you know, a few months, uh, after a significant loss, uh, a, a parent, a child, a sibling, people around you tend to feel that you ought to be over it by now. And I think one of the most important lessons that newly bereaved people need to know is that they're behaving in ways that are generally normal, that, it, that they have a right to grieve. What is, is very helpful is for them to try and find support groups of people who have shared their experiences. Um, I always found that that was helpful in my own life to find people who understood what I was experiencing and be able to share those thoughts. Did you interview men in your book at all? Or were they oh, all yeah. women? Yeah, did you find a difference between men and women? Because one of the things that I hear from guys is they don't want to do support group. Some do. As a matter of fact, that's very interesting. I have interviewed a number of men who are um, have lost spouses and who go to these support groups because they are so bereft and don't know, don't get support from others um, and find them not only very helpful, but also find other women whom they um, might even connect with again. Yeah, I was just going to say that. My my mother, yes, Susan, my mother-in-law actually found her boyfriend through a support group. Mm -hmm. You know, they were together grieving and they ended up, there are many men who don't. There are many men who prefer um, to talk to someone individually. And then, of course, you probably are also aware, uh, both of you, that men tend to cope by trying to fix things right. and mm-hmm. to fix problems. So they like to keep busy. And I remember uh, interviewing a couple about uh, their loss, and the woman was of course, very emotional and crying and very frustrated with her husband that all he wanted to do was to keep busy, you know, going to work, playing tennis, doing, you know, his music, uh, fixing things around the house, because that's the way they expend their, their grieving energy. And I think that's okay. I think we've learned that that's, people cope in different ways. We just have to understand that and allow them to do that. 
Well, if you had one piece of advice for me right now as a person who felt like they were a nomad, hadn't approached their grief, but obviously they're visiting our site, listening to the show, they must know on some level that they're going to have to approach this grief or, or that they have some kind of a desire that their life needs to move on. What would be your advice for me? How do I start? How do I get out of this n- nomad? Uh, I'm starting to wake up. Uh, what do I do? Well, I, I think that um, we say that professionally in the field that if a person has been experiencing grief and a sense of confusion and can't get their life back together in any form, not even to function well on a day-to-day basis, that probably they could benefit from seeing a grief counselor um, to help them uh, reality test, validate them, and perhaps provide them with some guidance as to how they can um, figure out what they need to do to move on themselves. And could you tell me... I think there's been a... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I think that there's been a lot of controversy, you know, about whether grief should be something that goes through a national, natural process or whether it's necessary to have grief counseling. But I think that if people are struggling and they're not finding that their support networks can be helpful enough to them, that people are beginning to feel impatient, that they should see a counselor who can Mm -hmm. empathize with them and help them get through this. And let me say, for those who are out there, if you're not ready to see a counselor, I will tell you what, a good way to start is to buy Susan Berger's book, The Five Ways to Grieve, and read her story and read also the things that she's learned through going through her own grief and finally discovering it. And you can also find out where you where you are and what you're doing and, and what it works out for you. So I think it's a great way to start, Susan. It's a wonderful book. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that, Gloria. I don't like to promote myself, so I'm happy to have you do that. <laughs> and, and I would like to know, Susan, what has it meant to you to go through this experience and have it, and how is your life now as, as far as, you know, facing up to it, dealing with it? You know, what does it make you feel? I um, I'm feeling far more uh, re- resolved. I understand why I made the choices in life that I did, and I am feeling now, having written this book, that that was also my journey in um, resolving my grief, and brings me to being the activist, who is one of the, the types that I mention in the book, who is able to help others who are going through this kind of experience. It is very gratifying to me. Um, I see people um, clinically all the time who say that they really, they can't get through this by themselves um, and that they have read many, many books and not find found them very helpful because they don't bring them over the hump of finding hope and being able to find meaning again. Uh, Susan, we want to end on that, and finding hope and being able to find meaning again. That's such an important thing. And thank you so much for writing your book and for all the things that you're doing for the world. We appreciate your being on the show today. Thank you thank, so much, thanks, Gloria Susan. and Heidi. And thank you for and your thank work you for, as well. Thank you for helping people figure out who they are after loss as well. Thank you. 
Well, Heidi, that's an interesting show today uh, with Susan Berger. This is a great book she's written. And don't you love people who uh, are, you know, it, it, they're just going through their life and, and finding places where they can change with courage? Absolutely. And I just want to say also that Susan's website is very comprehensive and offers a lot in the, in the line of hope for people. If they want to visit the Center for Lost Bereavement and Healing, you can just Google it and it'll bring you right to her website. That's great. Well, Heidi, we hope everybody will tune in again next week for more of the Open to Hope show. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.